Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Good day and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. My name is Arthur Beasley. Today we're talking about the spring economic statement set out by the government this week in which it sets its joint plan for next year and the years to come. I'm joined by Cliff Taylor, Managing Editor of the Irish Times, and by Philip Lane, Whateley Professor of Political Economy in Trinity College, Dublin. Cliff Taylor, are you inspired by this spring statement? Well, I suppose, Arthur, it's hard to get inspired by a set of economic forecasts. Uh, I suppose what the government tried to do was they're obliged to uh, put in their forecasts each year to the European Commission, uh, as it, as all other EU countries are, and they tried to build a bit of a political event around it. Um, so, I mean, useful to do long-term planning, uh, useful to look at the outlook for the public finances. Uh, it's something I think we could be criticised for not having done in the past, Traditionally, budgets were done from one year to the next. So I think useful that was done. I suppose there was a, perhaps a bit of a sense of anticlimax yesterday about the about the lack of, of detail about what might happen. Perhaps that was inevitable. Um, but but, but uh, that will play itself out, I suppose, in the months ahead. I, I suppose the other thing that strikes me looking at uh, long-term economic forecasts, uh, it, it's been hard to know over the last few years what's going to happen next week, never mind what's going to happen over the next three or four years. So the government's obliged to, to set out its forecasts. I, I don't think there's anything particularly unreasonable in, in those forecasts. But at the same time, looking at next year, the year after 2018, 2019, very hard to know what economic growth is going to be and very hard to know, as, as you wrote yourself in the paper this morning, you know what risks are going to emerge, what could throw things off course. Um, so, so you know, I think we we have to take that with 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 a grain of uh, with with a grain of salt. I think it's fair to say that this is a review. There is a formal review which must go to Brussels at this point of the year, every single year. And for as long as the news was bad, and in the years of prolonged and ever deepening retrenchment, there was no enthusiasm at all in the government to publicise what was being sent to Brussels. The situation has now changed. The news is that little bit better. Therefore, there's been some political fanfare around it. Would you agree with that assessment, Philip? So I I think um, this is really the first interesting five-year plan since November 2010. So in November 2010, before the... uh, Troika came to town, the uh, previous government issued you know, a multi-year plan, which in fact you know, told, said a lot about what actually happened uh, in, in the following years. 
then, uh, you know, if you like last year, maybe, you know, the Troika had gone, but it's still pretty uncertain where the economy was going. Now, after a year of pretty good economic data and a year now where we know with QE, the weak euro and so on, uh, that that can be set to continue for a while. It, it is, I think, was timely, you know, regardless of all the other political issues, to give to, to give the world a sense of uh, what is the best guess of this government about what's going to happen in the next five years. And, uh, of course, you could be paralysed by uncertainty and say, listen, we don't know what's going to happen, therefore we say nothing. And if you like, that was always the safe approach, saying we'll take it on a year-by-year basis and never disclose anything until budget day. Uh, so, of course, this is bound to be wrong in some sense. You know, events will materialise different from this forecast. But it's much better to have a, a kind of picture uh, of what's going to, you know, they think is going to happen um, than, than to say nothing. So, so this is uh, the economics world for you know, a long time I said, you need multi-year horizon planning. Uh, you need uh, to put the macro picture first. And then let the fight begin a bit about tax versus spending and across the different categories within that. So top down budgeting, do the macro picture now in April uh, and then have a fight between now and October about what goes into the actual budget. That, that is the uh, correct way to do it. Whereas in the uh, previous uh, good years, what happened was essentially bottom up. You agree deals with all sorts of uh, interest groups. You add it up and that's your macro outcome. Uh, which is not a good way to do things. Of course, the big question is, will this hold? You know, when you say, because it, it does mean there's a limit to what the public sector work is going to get. It does mean there's a limit to the scope of tax cuts and so on. Uh, now, at one level, it's impressive that the two parties in this coalition have agreed. So I suppose the implication is when we go to the manifestos for the next uh, election, this is what they have to stick with. It must be very uh, difficult for them to resile from these joint uh, right. proposals uh, so, so, within so I, months. Yeah, so I think that's actually fairly big news. They've got, they're going to differ about the details, I'm sure, but they've agreed on a pretty uh, moderate package, you know, and the 50-50 split uh, sounds like a natural compromise between the two, the two uh, parties. Uh, and it, it does, uh, it sets the agenda and every all the other parties now will have to frame their manifestos rather to this, which gives them a target. It gives them, it does say, I think, uh, Piers Doherty said yesterday, you know, you know, if you're well off, vote for, for this, you know, policy. But if you're not, you may want to look at alternatives. Uh, and it's a target. It's, you know, it'd be an interesting uh, now if everyone respects the rules of this or will will the public sector unions and so on just say, listen, this is just a statement. It doesn't bind. Uh, we want more than this. The uh, 50-50 split between taxation cuts and increases in expenditure is cast, to my mind, as an effort to ring-fence the available pool for tax concessions so that you won't have uh, an ever-increasing pay claim on the basis of a, of a deeper split between, as between expenditure and tax. Is that a good idea from your perspective? Well, I think uh, as a macroeconomist, you know, I'm going to remain silent about what is the ideal split. Um, it's definitely a strategy to say, here's the pot. But the question is, will, will that uh, prevail? You know, so, so this is, in the end, this is just a statement. Uh, the budget is, you know, what leads to the Finance Act and the, the legislation. So, so uh, this is going to be the, the asset test, which is, uh, will, will they stick? 
mean, there will be some wiggle room as new macro data come out between now and, and the autumn, but uh, if it this sticks, it does say that the kind of debate is going to be pretty narrow. There's a pretty limited uh, uh, pot of money there for tax cuts, and there's a pretty limited pot of money there for the balance between pay increases and new spending programmes. Cliff Taylor, would you agree? I would, yeah. I, I think um, part of the political strategy here, as Philip said, is to try and set the pitch for the election debate, if you like, uh, so that the government is saying, OK, there's going to be 1.5 billion max available uh, this October and something similar in the following budgets. What do you guys think you, you, sh- you know can be done with that kind of uh, room for manoeuvre? And I suppose there's a two-part thing here. One is in, in the election debate, it's going to frame the, f- the, the plans that different parties put forward. But the other is that in the, in the run-up to this budget, uh, the government is going to be pleading again and again that th- this, is, uh, this is all we have. Uh, we can't go any further because of EU rules. Uh, okay, you know, better, da- better data or, or some savings might create a little bit of extra room for manoeuvre uh, come October. But, but this, is broadly, this is broadly it. Uh, so, so I think that message is going to be brought into the public pay talks. Uh, it's going to be brought into this uh, grandly titled National Economic Dialogue where all the interest groups are going to come in and lay out their uh, lay out their stall. I think the government is going to be saying again and again, look, you guys are looking for a 3% increase, but we only have so much. Or in the National Economic Dialogue, all the demands are going to be coming in and the government will say, look, the total sum of what everyone's looking for here is five or six billion. We only have one and a half. Where, where, where did and we it's start? Not, it's, it's, it's not a huge, it's a large amount of money, but it's not a huge amount of money no. when you compare it with the next to 30 billion uh, that was take out, taken out of the economy in, in, in the years of uh, very, very, very grinding austerity. Absolutely. And I think this is the political, I suppose, the political difficulty for the government. Uh, they're able to say GDP is returning to where it was before the uh, before the recession. Unemployment is falling below ten percent, but uh, the risk is, or, or the fact is, I suppose that, that that doesn't mean the public finances can go back to the way they were in two thousand and eight. Because in two thousand and eight, we all know they were we know they were bust. Spending was unsustainable, and tax was unsustainable. So people can't get their money back. So even if you look at the tax uh, situation, there was about ten billion in tax hikes during during the crisis as part of the 30 billion adjustment and, and Michael Noon was saying okay you might get 2 billion back over the next 3 years that's great you know in one sense for people they're, they're seeing money back in their pockets but in another sense they're not going back to where they were before and I think that's it's kind of a nuanced message that the government has to sell you know we're giving you money back but we can't go back to where we were before it's very nuanced indeed, but it's all, and it's all predicated on the achievement of a 4% growth rate this year and a growth rate approaching 4% next year. Are those kind of forecasts at this point in the game, Philip, are they credible? So this year and next year, yes. And by the way, it, it's even better than that because those are the uh, projections for volume for the amounts of goods and services we produce. But this year especially, there's a very strong um, income gain from price movements. So the very uh, uh, weak price of oil compared to historical norms and the uh, weak euro means that nominal GDP is going to come in It's like nearly 7%, I think, this year. So, so in terms of... Because uh, when we talk about public finance, it's always nominal, 1.5 billion. So the, so the increase in the cash value of GDP is, is growing nearly at 7 this year. A bit less next year. But then what's interesting is the forecast is actually, uh, you know, I think, I think uh, it's very hard to know, you know, after that. Because as unemployment comes down to a more normal level, 
uh, the kind of ba- what we have now is an element of bounce back. You know, when we had really high unemployment, when we had very low private sector investment, uh, there's a there's a rec- there's a kind of rebound element, and we're still in the rebound element of you know running down our pools of uh, uh, excess unemployed, our pools of uh, you know uh, depreciated capital, and so on. So the the big uncertainty is further out. But I think we, in Ireland especially, we always have to live with that. We're such a volatile economy. And such uh, an open economy. Yeah, it's such an open economy. And this, by the way, goes back to the uh, tax issue. Uh, throughout the statement yesterday, there was this issue about how do we attract our migrants back? Because even uh, as unemployment comes down, there probably will be skill shortages in certain key sectors and so on. And the question is, uh, how do you attract... Uh, you know the, these people who decided either never, you know, to delay returning to Ireland or t- to uh, make make a fresh uh, uh, exit over the crisis, uh, and you know, so it's the interesting uh, issue in Ireland is the left-right split is for sure there, but there's also the collective issue knowing if you put the uh, tax rates on uh, highly paid uh, workers too high, it's collectively self-defeating. In the same way that you know a corporation tax rate that is too high is collectively self-defeating because this uh, labour and capital leaves the economy. Um, you know, so we're not there yet because of the high unemployment. We're not there yet in terms of, uh, I think, hitting hitting these uh, uh, scarcity buffers. Um, but but that in, is in the background. You know, and I, so I think this idea of uh, having a fairly narrow debate about tax. Um, you know, maybe maybe that's okay for now. But you know, over the n- coming years, with the high debt, public debt level, with the pressure on public services, because I mean, if we had not had the crisis, we'd be having a big conversation uh, about aging population. The fact we have to allow for the fact that uh, healthcare expenditure is trending upwards, we have to allow for the fact that uh, pension expenditures is going to trend upwards, and we all know uh, with these super low interest rates, the private sector pension issue is, is very difficult. So there's a pile of trend pressures on the public sector. Uh, and so this goes back about what, what can we do? You know, uh, and this, this is still a short-term plan because uh, over a two to five year horizon, you can still try and avoid some of those longer term questions. And, and it's also the case that, I mean, you, you mentioned the low po- po- price of oil, you mentioned the euro's weakness. It's also the case that interest rates are at a record low. So there's a there's a spur there on, on three fronts, yeah, if you yeah. like, and we are being pulled along by the recovery in Britain and by the recovery in America. We're still waiting for the European recovery. But these things are, are, are helping the turnaround in Ireland. Yeah. But it's not always going to be one-way traffic, and it's always that there's always going to be the possibility that the price of oil goes up, that interest rates go up, and that uh, that the euro strengthens. Right. So I mean, there are kind of lags in the system. So I think uh, for this year's forecast and next year's forecast, there's enough has been already shoved into the system that unless there's a meltdown in Greece or in the Chinese banking system, the next year or two I think will be should be okay. After that, I mean, and this goes back to the decision to take it slow in terms of reducing the public debt uh, and it goes back to the vulnerability of the private sector if and when interest rates go up. So so those are, you know, maybe not the first couple of years of the next government but towards the second half of the next government, those will be I think uh, uh, big issues. Um, but of course in Ireland the public debt you know, 
I think they're hoping as they sell off the banks and so on that the debt ratio can come down quite quickly. From, and, and, uh, and it's also true that the net debt position is, is considerably better. lower than, yeah, yeah. than so, the So I think that's, that is important to uh, emphasise. And they do this super clear in the documentation they released yesterday uh, about that. It's amazing when you might go around the conference circuit that that people... Because Ireland has been, through the NTMA, you know, has built up this big cash pile and the fact that you have these stakes in the banks does mean the uh, public debt is, is uh, less of a severe constraint than in some other countries. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704 Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. Cliff Taylor, if there is no such thing as a perfect economic document or a perfect economic plan, where do you think this doc- this plan I set out yesterday is good? Where do you think what, what do you think are its particular strengths? Well, I think its its, it's strengths are that it, it takes a reasonably uh, a reasonably prudent view on the future of the public finances. Now, you could argue that if we weren't bound in by EU rules, that the plans might be being put in place to spend a lot more in this year's budget. But 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 we are, and the government has to sit within that reality. So you know, while while I might. Uh, might have preferred, and, and some people might have preferred, you know, an even quicker move to reduce the deficit over the next few years, uh, just in case things are, are, are a bit more difficult in a few years' time. I don't think you, you, you couldn't uh, say the document is imprudent in any way. It does see the debt level falling. It does see the deficit falling over the next few years. It, it, you know, it's, it's reasonably conservative. Uh, I agree with uh, Philip that it's very hard to know in three or four years' time what growth is going to be. I think the point of the bounce back was really interesting. And you're saying, okay, the economy is well set for the next couple of years, but in th- three or four years' time, the forecasts are that we can keep growing at 3.5% uh, roughly each year, when maybe Europe's only be go- going to be growing at 15 and 2%. You know, and can we continue that outperformance? Well, let's hope we can, and we, we have to some extent in the past, but there is a considerable amount of, of uncertainty there, I think. Philip, would you agree? And would you see any glaring weaknesses in the document as set out? No, so, so, but I think it's the difference between uh, planning and implementation. And the, the history of uh, governments as good times, n- not specific to Ireland, but across Europe, as good times come back in, uh, the difference between what is announced early in the year and then what actually happens uh, grows because there's more of a tolerance for mistakes. If the market is happy to fund your super low interest rates, you might become more blasé. Say, well, you know, circumstances meant that uh, the outturn is slightly worse than, than we hoped and so on. So, so that, that is really the battle is uh, uh, it's important to have good plans. Uh, it's important uh, to, to get through uh, electoral cycles. Uh, but l- let's see uh, whether this government and whoever's in power after... Uh, 
this government uh, can uh, implement this. Uh, you know, so politics is uh, not just about plans, it's also about implementation. Well, it's also, I mean, and this is an economic document, but it's one which takes, which is unleashed, if you like, in a, in a, in a political climate. We are now very definitely into the countdown for the next election. Right. And going back to the, Cliff mentioned the expenditure rules and so on, is it's important uh, to say that there is no constraint really on uh, expenditure so long as you raise tax in line with that. Sure. Yeah. So, so, so if you like, there's, there's nothing to stop uh, some other political party to pre- present an entirely alternative plan which involves much higher levels of public spending so long as they have credible uh, tax plans to back that up. So one of the other interesting uh, announcements in, in the report, and let's see how quickly it's set up, is to set up an independent budget office. This, this is, so in other words, to help opposition parties develop credible alternative plans. So I think the report said, well, it's not really going to be possible this year, but in the future, uh, essentially, there will be uh, that, that support so that all parties can uh, credibly say, Here, here's what we can, you know, if we raise a wealth tax or we kind of increase property taxes, here's the extra resources we can have. And if you like, that's kind of, if you look around Europe, that's a typical uh, economic <coughs> debate in a, in, a, in a political system is, uh, I want to do this, and here's how, how I'm going to fund it. And we see it in the UK election right now. There's a lot of debate. Is that yeah. funded or is it unfunded? I, I think one of the criticisms right now in, in terms of our body politic is that opposition parties frequently base their plans on the answers provided to parliamentary questions, but that those answers to discrete questions don't necessarily interlock with each other, and you don't get really a realistic kind of assessment of the cost of proposals as made. Right, so so the, the, this is, again, should be standard and other countries have it, but to have an independent budget office will allow uh, uh, oppositions to do the job of oppositions, which is to create alternative uh, plans. And this is going to be a very, very, very crucial general election. Would it not be better to provide the resources right now? I mean, the election could still be a little bit less than a year away. That's maybe something interim can happen, but you know, it takes time to uh, recruit. Uh, one of the job markets, which is actually pretty tight, is for economists. There's not that many uh, economists around. So I'm not quite sure how to staff an independent uh, budget office without some kind of uh, lead time to, to uh, set it up. At the end of the day, this spring statement comes in advance of what will be the government's final budget of its five-year mandate. The government has survived. The economy is recovering. In many ways, when you look at the circumstances in which the government was elected, the situation has improved quite appreciably. And I'm sure there would be people uh, within government faced with the kind of challenge they were when they came in who who would say that uh, really the performance has been uh, quite strong when you look at the, the very force of the crisis that was still underway when they were elected. Yep. So this is, uh, I suppose, uh, if you like, from the outside, uh, this is often the way the strategy, I think, would have been described, which is do the hard work and collect the uh, reward, the electoral reward, uh, if the economy uh, recovers in, before the next election. That's happening, but of course... Uh, Voters uh, have other concerns on their mind, not just the big macro picture. Uh, And so the question is whether this statement yesterday can uh, 
you know, help the government to sell the message that this has been, uh, in the end, a pretty successful administration in the sense of clearly leading the economy out of the severe crisis of uh, the end of 2010. Yeah, it's one, th- it's one thing I think that certainly argues for the general election being as late as possible from the government's point of view. You know, there's no doubt the economy is improving. There's no doubt that people are moving from unemployment into work. We're starting to just starting to see the increase in, in, in wages and earnings in, in, in many companies. And I think the government will hang on as late as possible in the hope that people will really start to feel this in their pockets and that whatever their annoyance about what's happened over the last few years and the USC and taxes and uh, the cutbacks that they will kind of go to the polling booth in the end and say, OK, you know, it hasn't been too bad over the last year and a half. We'll put this government back in. But of course, the opposition will, will, will have will have other ideas. They will, and we also know uh, that the government is putting the banks under pressure in terms of their variable rate mm. uh, mortgages to uh, cut those rates, and there is in prospect some kind of a reduction which would deliver uh, quite a benefit to the people who are paying what are at the moment yeah. quite penal interest rates. Yeah, there's no doubt that uh, when you see the Minister for Finance calling in the heads of the main banks. Uh, you know that something will result from that because he's not going to call them in if, if he doesn't believe that they're going to act. So I think there's already an understanding behind the scenes between the government and the banks that, look, standard variable rates are going to be cut over the next few months. Um, the minister will, will call in the bank heads and be seen to give out to them and, and they probably deserve a bit of giving out to. And uh, in, in the sense that they've been treating their existing customers badly compared to their new ones and uh, I think we see some cut in rates so, and, and you're right that is that is another boost to people's income and, and, and their take home pay and a significant number of people Philip Lane Right so um, right now I think uh, this issue of rebalancing the, the kind of uh, who pays for the banking crisis between those who are, have locked into uh, variable rate mortgages versus those who benefit from trackers uh, there's an element of adjustment there um, I would say longer term with the banking sector, um, you know, even in uh, this morning's uh, testimony, Eugene uh, Sheehy was saying one of the problems in the boom years was just they weren't making enough margin. Mm. You know, so, so the idea that the uh, margin on uh, mortgages and other products yeah. should be as small as possible doesn't allow them to build the buffers um, to, to, to withstand uh, future future losses. So, uh, you know, I'm not arguing against the current recalibration that maybe is excessive. Uh, but, you know, this is a, you know, I think the minister, uh, as we go back to a more normal banking system, uh, understanding that boring banking systems, maybe like mm-hmm. Canada, might be safer than cutthroat competition. Yeah. You know, that's going to be one of the issues uh, for yeah. the future. And you're right. And you're right. We have to remember also that interest rates, whatever about the customer might see, that the overall level of interest rates is extraordinarily low at the moment, and that if you look at it over the next five years, we're sure you look at it increases rather than. Well, rather I don't than know. There's a the global debate sense. about low interest rates and mm-hmm. uh, savings gluts and secular stagnation and so on. So you know, there's a, when you can borrow a ten year, and some of these. Uh, yeah. Government's borrowing at 30 years are super low. Uh, I think interest rates will go up at some point, but uh, you know maybe we'll be continually surprised about mm. that. Let's hope. <laughs> there you are. Philip Lane, thank you very much indeed. And Cliff Taylor, thank you. You've been listening to the Irish Times Business Podcast. Tune in again. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 